one last lesson and one last episode where we cover all the action tiers and characters of season four of Star Wars Rebels. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our first official episode that we are recording post SAG AFTRA strike. We are so excited. The strike is over. It's actually been a minute since we've recorded, it's been a minute since the strike has been over, but we are finally back at the mic and we are very, very excited. I literally had to dust off my microphone, like (laughs) actually dust it. It's so wild. I'm so happy to be back and get back in the routine and everything. And I hope that you guys listening to this might be like, what are you talking about? I listened to like 10 hours of your podcast already. (laughs) But this is right. Like Keelan said, the first time we're recording post strike. And yeah, we're so happy to be back. And Honestly, really excited to finish out this like revisiting Star Wars Rebels project that we're doing and talking about Rebels here today on the podcast. Yeah, you know, when we were talking about this episode, we actually decided to wait to record it until after the Ahsoka show finished just to kind of see how everything shook out, see if that might impact some of our feelings about season four. And then we had some, I don't know, we just got busy in our personal lives and weren't able to record this earlier. Well, it was a lot of, I should, we should say, it was a lot of work to like get all of those episodes that we recorded during the strike out and release like five episodes, six episodes. I can't remember how many. It's like a lot of packaging that goes into that. Mm-hmm. So that felt like a big chunk of work that needed to be done as much as from your side, if you're listening, you're probably like, but you recorded that so long ago. But Yeah, that was a lot. So now (laughs) that's done. (laughs) That piece of the action is done and we're back in like present time, in real time. So In real real time. (laughs) Yeah. And then we're post Thanksgiving right now. So that's really what slowed us down too, is prepping for that. And anyway, this is too much information about real life. (laughs) Well, one other tidbit during real life is that after Uh, Ahsoka had finished. It was before the strike was over, but Charlotte came down to Georgia for a couple of days um, from New York City, which I live in Georgia. So we were able to hang out some in person, which is always really fun. To make a long story short, when Charlotte and I were post-college looking for jobs, etc., we used to go to this one restaurant all the time in like the Alpharetta area, if you're familiar at all with Georgia. And it was this restaurant called Crew, C-R-U. We went there all the time. It was our favorite place to go. But the, it's, a, it's a wine bar. It's a wine, it's a wine bar. We love a wine bar. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. But one of the things about Crew is that it was a two-story restaurant. And the upper story is outdoors, like a rooftop, uh, rooftop restaurant situation. And literally for years, Charlotte and I have never been able to eat on the rooftop. When I tell you we went to this place all the time, it was, we were post-college jobless depressed. We had nothing to do but go to crew on the weekend. (laughs) And that is what we did. And we never got to sit on the rooftop. It was always closed for repairs because it was raining, because it was too cold, fill in the blank. Never to the point where it's become a running joke. Um, like this is pre-podcast that we've been going to this restaurant without sitting on the roof. So anyway, Charlotte comes down to Georgia. We decide we're going to go to crew. Of course it comes up. Will we get to sit on the rooftop? And listeners, 
the rooftop was open and we finally got to sit on the rooftop and we, we were, were the first ones up there. We were the first ones up there for the night. We were walking up there like, this isn't real. This is crazy. What's going to happen? And I said, as we we're walking up the stairs, I said, I feel like this is a break in like the time space continuum and something's going to happen with the strike. Cause of course that's that you said, this is going to end the strike. Yeah. I this said, is it. This is going to end the this strike. This action is going to end the strike. Not tonight, <laughs> but soon. <laughs> sitting on the rooftop is it, it's a break in the time space continuum. Um, and it's going to end the strike. And then halfway through dinner, we started to get notifications that the final round of negotiations or what became the final round of negotiations, uh, open started back up with SAG AFTRA and the AMPTP. And you know what? I'm not saying it's because we sat on the rooftop, but it kind of feels like it's because we sat on the rooftop. It was just rooftop. insane. <laughs> and that that is a hundred percent a joke. <laughs> I hope you all know that. There was, of course, a lot, a lot of work that went into that. But this kind of felt like a funny anecdote. And literally, we've been going to that restaurant since like 2015. And have not once sat on the rooftop. <laughs> we were like, what's going to happen in our life when we finally get to sit on the roof? Yeah, and it really became a joke like that. Yeah. And I can't, I just, I think I should take one second to acknowledge the how much I've missed podcasting and being in the groove and being able to talk about Star Wars. And I'm very happy that we were um, not podcasting during that time. Mm-hmm. Happy is a weird word to use, but I feel I I I think you feel the same way like we both feel good in that decision that we did that we stood in solidarity and things like that. But it doesn't take away the fact that we really missed it. We missed being in it. We missed talking about movies and television shows and Star Wars and it feels really good to be freely able to do that again and um yeah, and I think that like that was the thing <laughs> going up on the roof. I felt like this is it. Things are going to change from here. And they did. So yeah. it's, it's just been a kind of as much as it's it's literally not about me. It's not about me and Caitlin. But it was sad to be missing a lot of fun fandom conversations and things. And I hope that, that doesn't this doesn't sound callous at all. But um, I'm really glad to be back. And it feels really good. And it all changed up there, all changed there on that rooftop. Up on the rooftop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's our little ridiculous coincidence story. Um, uh, you know, before the before the strike ended, but we wanted to share it with you all because we thought it was funny. Um, we also do want to point out just before we dive into this rebels discussion that we have seen all of the Ahsoka show, obviously, and we will likely be discussing just spoilers for the entirety of the Ahsoka show in this discussion of Rebel season four. So just want to make sure we get that out in the open before we start. Okay, so let's dive in. So just like our other episodes where we revisit Star Wars Rebels, part one is going to be about contextualizing this era that Star Wars Rebels season four came out. Part two, we'll be talking about characters and themes. And part three is highs and lows and sort of a catch-all section. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. All right. Hello. Welcome to part one, where, like Charlotte said, we're going to be contextualizing uh, season four of Star Wars Rebels. If you've been following along in our Rebels series so far, uh, we've found a lot of interesting tidbits in kind of thinking about where fandom was when each of these seasons were airing. And we've been going through old reviews and comments and things like that. And this is I really enjoy going through this section when it comes to all of our Star Wars Rebels seasons. It's been really interesting and fun to kind of look back. Yeah, I completely 
completely agree. I think that contextualizing where these Star Wars stories – now we have so many Star Wars stories, right? And it's really fun to look back and contextualize them. Like Think about how we didn't have any live action, anything when these were coming out, that this was the first animated show – actually the first show post the Disney sale and like kind of the first thing. And it's really interesting to think about how attitudes actually towards the show Star Wars Rebels changed over time. And I think in the section, we kind of talk about that um, in each of the past episodes that we've done on Rebels. Um, but this season aired from October 15th, 2017 to March 5th, 2018. So within that time period, we had Forces of Destiny, that like short little animated series that came out, premiered in October. Caitlin and I were in our first year of Star Wars podcasting. <laughs> I just want to note that. <laughs> the Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnston was published during this time period. And there was a lot of discussion about like what's next for Ahsoka's character too, I've, I remember correctly. The Last Jedi premiered, obviously, in December 2017, changed the entire trajectory of our lives. <laughs> and... All the marketing around that was basically the entire chunk of 2017. I feel like it was everywhere and specifically like in the fall, in October. Um, I remember coming back from some trip I was on over like Columbus Day weekend and the trailer came out and that was a big deal. And then Rebels was coming out really soon after. It might have been that same week and it was just Star Wars pandemonium all the time. And then in March 2018, the Last Jedi novel was published. Which that was a big deal for us. We, oh, yeah, well, everything exactly. about The Last Huge Jedi deal. was a big deal, but we yeah. we really went hard with The Last Jedi novel. So that's why it's included in our <laughs> roundup of what was well, I happening. I think The Last Jedi, I think we love The Last Jedi. And it's when I talk about The Last Jedi, like I really lead from a place of like obsession. Mm -hmm. And The Last Jedi really was fully took over my brain for like two years. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and your, yours too, in our podcast, we could not stop talking about it. We did so many episodes on yeah, The Last yeah, Jedi in the beginning of 2018. So it was insane. It's, it's so insane. <laughs> and I, I can't even imagine that output. And that output only comes from like absolute pure obsession mm -hmm. and drive to talk about something, which is just really fun. And I kind of miss that. But in a lot of ways, I was thinking about Rebels in conjunction of The Last Jedi at this time period, which probably wasn't fully fair considering they were developed at similar times, but separate in like separate rooms and everything. <laughs> so, uh, well, you what say I that, about, but there are a yeah, lot of things I, that kind of creep into Rebels from The Last Jedi. Of course, and Rogue One, and they're not fully separate from yeah. each other. And I think Dave, even in a lot of the Rebels recons from this era, talks about how important it is for um, him to work on cementing things like Rebels and his own projects into the lexicon of Star Wars being forever, I guess. He says it so much better than I can, but how important it is, like in the World Between Worlds episodes, to use the voices to cement the importance of like all of these things being connected. And I definitely felt that in season four, hugely. And But I, I just mentioned the fact that I looked at Rebels through the prism of The Last Jedi and the sequel trilogy during the time period that it came out when I actually enjoyed moving a little bit beyond that for this rewatch. Yeah. And to separate those two things and like not think about <laughs> as much as I, it's impossible for me to separate because of my own nostalgia at this point. But 
that's sort of how I was viewing it then and viewing it now, I can kind of view it as one full piece, especially with the past seasons that we've discussed. Yeah. I think our headspace was so about The Last Jedi. I think we probably did. I think we did at least five episodes about The Last Jedi specifically, like in the January to February time period. Yeah. Yeah. You which, just think, like, five episodes feels low because that's not actually true, but like specifically about the about last Jedi the, right only after about it the came last out. Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so it felt like, and because our speculation too was at an all time high, this is when we became Raylos officially. Like there was so, the wheels were spinning constantly. It was hard not to kind of look at some of the things happening in Rebels, especially season uh, or World Between Worlds, especially when we had this kind of mantra of one last lesson, which was a big thing in The Last Jedi as well with Ray's lessons from Luke, or at least we made it a big thing. <laughs> it was hard not to kind of see how these stories could connect and what that would mean for what eventually would become episode nine as well. So it was kind of a crazy time, a really fun time, a really intense time in fandom too, if you were in the Twitter space. But yeah, I think now looking back at this, you know, it's a very short period too. Like Rebel season four goes back down to 15 episodes um, and the back half of that all aired together. So yeah, two episodes at a time. Episodes, yeah. So uh, it went by really quickly, but I have such great memories, specific memories of watching season four, uh, the back half, especially in real time with everyone online and the immediate reaction and everything. It was just cannot be topped, honestly. Some of my all-time favorite like memories of watching Star Wars in real time. Me too. Uh, I did too. I did pull this quote from Dave about Rebels that's kind of from the last Rebels recon, which uh, again, if this is your first time tuning in to a Sky Talkers Rebels episode and you're not familiar with Rebels Recon, Rebels Recon was an after show that they hosted on YouTube after each episode of Rebels. All four seasons came out and it was fantastic. Can't sing its praises highly enough, but it was an opportunity to interview cast and crew and creators um, about the episode and the season as a whole. And there was time for question and answer from fans as well as <laughs> Chopper had his whole own plot each season of Rebels called Chopper Cam within Rebels Recon. Just you literally can't beat Rebels Recon if you've never dived in. It's well worth your time. <laughs> but this was a quote from Dave in the last Rebels Recon about Rebels in total. He said, it was important. It was an important show coming out of this big change in the company. And, you know, having George stepping away from Star Wars, I felt it was really important to maintain the animation divisions. I wanted to maintain a pipeline and a way of telling stories that I knew he really believed in. And I wanted to tell stories that I feel are very true to his Star Wars and the Star Wars that he taught me when working on Clone Wars. So it was important for fans because a lot of fans were wondering, what is this going to look like now? What's Lucasfilm and Star Wars going to be? I think we made something that we can be very proud of. I think that we grew as a group and our skills as storytellers. And I'm very proud of Rebels. And yeah, I'm pretty pleased. And you know, it's great to be a part of it. I like this quote a lot. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think it's nice. I think, again, it's kind of bringing us back to the context of season one of I think you had described that time period in fandom when season one of Rebels started as smoky. Um, I think that's the word you use, which I think is a great way to describe that period because we had the Disney acquisition, uh, Clone Wars. A lot was up in the air about Clone Wars, what felt like it was up in the air at the time. We had the promise of new movies, but who knew when and how, like what that was going to look like, if it, any of it was going to be good. And Rebels was the first step out of that. And now here it is ending, you know, effectively in the middle of the sequel trilogy. And it's crazy to think about it now 
where we are now with these stories and these characters and everything that has happened since. And I don't know. I just, I love Rebels so much. <laughs> it's so I good. Know. And it makes me cry every time I watch it and think about these characters. And to me, that's kind of the mark of a good story that I still feel connected to these characters and these storylines that I know how this all ends. Even now, I freaking know where Ezra is and it, I'm still crying thinking about him blasting off with the Burgles. Because it's not about him leaving. It's about his sacrifice yeah. and like what it all means. It's just so good. I love the ending of this. I think it's a perfect ending. I like that it has that sprinkle of Dave Filoni vagueness. I like that that vagueness is now answered in a show like Ahsoka. However, there's still a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the way that the creators are talking about on Rebels Recon on that finale episode, how they really set out to make a good Star Wars show, not a kid show. And I really feel that. I feel that there's a real sense of maturity, especially in this season, season four um, of this series. And something I've actually always said about Rebels is that it's like a closed book and you can put it on the shelf. That's like kind of a Skytalkers ism. And I loved, I, I remember when the ending happened and there was a lot of questions and a lot of fandom being really satisfied by the ending, but then also being like, okay, so what's next? And me being like, no, guys, it's good. It's a really good story of found family and sacrifice and destiny. And it shows like a small band of rebels. It's, it's a just a very pure story uh, that can go right alongside the original trilogy in a lot of ways. And I think that the people who made the show, that's sort of what they set out to do. And I really have always felt like it's a closed book. You can put it back on the shelf. Like even if we truly never, if we never found out what happened to Ezra, I'd be, I'd, I have a lot of questions about that, but I'd still feel like the story that we got throughout all four seasons was worth a bunch of rewatches, honestly. Yeah, I would always hold out hope for that hashtag totally. where's Ezra <laughs> yeah. moment. But no, I agree with you. Uh, especially because at the time, right, Clone Wars had kind of been left a bit, had that unfinished feeling for a lot of fans, us included to a certain extent. So mm -hmm. to have something mm -hmm. like this that I think a lot of what Dave talked about in other interviews too was that he got to finish Rebels yeah. in kind of the way yeah. he didn't necessarily get to with Clone Wars. Even though Clone Wars kind of leaves on that at season five with Ahsoka leaves, like, yes, that's a huge cliffhanger, but you could still kind of take that as a series finale in some respects. But there, there's a difference, obviously, in how these finales developed. Totally. And I just want to one more comment about Dave's quote about, you know, he said it was an important show coming out of this big change in the company. I think even recently at Star Wars Celebration London, the, we saw saw Dave talk about like what's next for Star Wars animation and Lucasfilm animation, how important it is to continue, even though Dave has moved on to obviously live action, to work on and green light animated projects like he did with Tales of the Jedi. And that's sort of the quote that I'm referring to. And he talked about that in the uh, Clone Wars 15th anniversary panel. And I think it's really similar to this quote. And I really just appreciate this knowledge and notion that Dave is always thinking about where these stories fit in in the entire like history of the Lucasfilm company the Star Wars is a cultural lexicon and things like that I I I have a real confidence that Dave Filoni is constantly thinking about that and I think he he did that obviously with Rebels especially with season four too as we move forward into like present day I think that 
this series, this animated series has never been more important. And I would kill to see the numbers of the uptick of people watching Star Wars Rebels before or mid or during when Ahsoka was airing. Right. Because I always got the sense that Clone Wars has a more, it's, it's just bigger in the zeitgeist. And I think that that's because it's a really, there's a lot of long seasons that it was on for a really long time. And Rebels in uh, in comparison actually wasn't, right? And I always sort of felt like Rebels would have its moment, as all these Star Wars stories do. Clone Wars maybe wasn't so appreciated in the first few seasons, and now it's like really held up on the highest pedestal. You can say the same thing about the prequels, too. And I always felt like Rebels was going to have that moment, even though I felt like in the fandom, the finale and season four was really held to such high regard and people were really receptive to liking it. I still felt like, though, there wasn't enough people who watched Rebels. That Everyone started in Clone Wars and since Clone Wars is so long, they never made it to Rebels. And that was sad. <laughs> and I really hope that Ahsoka, and I, I had to, I know it did, it had to reinvigorate people to watch Rebels in a in a way that they didn't want to before. Um, but I want to see the numbers. Give me the numbers. <laughs> I would like to see the numbers. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that, I think like everything with Star Wars, it just, it has its time and these things come in waves when the popularity is at its peak, when it wanes, when people do their retrospectives for better or for worse. And then the tide changes in another five to 10 years. It's just... It, now that I've I've been here for a couple rounds <laughs> in the Star Wars fandom, uh, that that's the way with everything, you know, with Clone Wars and with Rebels and and all the films and TV shows and stuff like that. Everything has its moment to shine, and sometimes it's not when it airs immediately, and sometimes it's much later, and you know, vice versa. So everything everything comes back around, and more Star Wars, new Star Wars is always good Star Wars in my book for the most part. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, guys, I have some pretty bad news. All right. <laughs> I have some pretty bad news and I feel bad sharing it. If you've been listening to our Rebels uh, season episodes here, you'll know in this season or in this section, I have been pulling reviews from our man, Kevin Johnson of the AV Club every season. And we've been talking through them. We had some really great conversations about his reviews and the comments on his reviews in our season three discussion, which I enjoyed a, a, a lot, actually. So I was really excited to see what he had to say about season four. And he, like, didn't fully review season four. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Because I had only been reading his reviews for each season. Like, I wasn't skipping ahead. So I was only reading them at the time that we were preparing for our recording of that season. So I get to season four, and he only reviewed three arcs in season four. Uh, so there's only three reviews. And I was like, Kevin, Kevin. <laughs> What the heck, Kevin? What the heck, Kevin? <laughs> and, you know, he was actually pretty critical of the first four. He reviewed the first four episodes and then the last um, episode, so the finale. So basically the beginning and the end. And I thought he was pretty critical of the first four episodes. Uh, but then when he comes back to the finale review, he's like, this was an incredible season. I loved it. That's da 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 You know, so on and so forth, which... Maybe he loved it more because he didn't have to write a review every episode. I mean, that's true, but... <laughs> I don't whatever <laughs> I was, yeah yeah whatever I, I was so ready to like because our season three discussion was so good about his reviews and I was so excited and then they just are 
pretty much non-existent for season four, which um, was pretty disappointing. But I do oh, walk me walk me through what we have. I do have a couple quotes. This is from the season finale, which I thought, you know, were some good moments of his kind of summing everything up. So in this first quote, he's talking about Ezra, quote, after standing up to Thrawn, Ezra is presented to the emperor and provided an opportunity that is a temptation to be reunited with his parents just by opening up the pathway to the force world from the excellent world between worlds. The boy is tempted, but he not only manages to resist it, he takes down the portal, resists the emperor and fights off the ro- those red clad imperial guards by force pushing the rubble of the pathway on top of them. This allows the rebels to boot up the shield generators right before Thrawn's final bombardment and allow for Ezra's super secret plan to come to fruition. The return of those goddamn space whales, <laughs> which again, we've talked about this a million times, but if you saw the Purgles coming, you're lying to me. I don't believe you. <laughs> right. I, I don't believe you either. Yeah. I don't believe anyone who saw this coming. No. So uh, Kevin goes on to write, I spent a lot of watching season four pretty enamored with how it was developing. And I and more than once said out loud, well, we're sure a far cry from the episode about those space whales. <laughs> yes, I know they're officially called Purgle. It looks like the writers, which include Dave Filoni, Henry Gilroy, Kiri Hart, Simon Kinberg, and Stephen Melching, were a step ahead of me. I don't know how far in advance this was planned, but it is so fitting that these creatures would return to save the day, to stop Thrawn and destroy all those Imperial ships with incredible ease. Ezra has always had a deep connection with animals in particular, the Lothcats, the Lothwolves, the Convores, the Purgle. They've all helped him in some way, responding to his circumstances. And now they've come to assist Ezra one last time, right as the Padawan makes the purely Jedi decision to sacrifice himself to restrain Thrawn and hyperspace jump with the creatures far into the unknown. It is an incredibly powerful moment, narratively and visually paralleling the sacrifice Kanan made five episodes earlier. Writing about it is genuinely getting me choked up. Even the remaining rebels can't help but stare in disbelief before finally regaining the sense to finish the job. And that's kind of the end of the quotes I pulled from his review. Um, he did say at the end of his review, he said, God, I would kill for an Ahsoka Sabine team-up show in which the two travel across the galaxy doing good deeds while trying to find Ezra. And then there was one comment that I liked too um, from someone who wrote, I hold out hope for an Ahsoka live action. Now you can add Sabine. Also, I hold out hope that Sabine would develop Jedi skills. She was this close with the Darksaber. And yeah, that that wasn't like a lot of critique on the season four. Um, nothing I feel like we haven't really talked about before. But like I said, he didn't really review that much. And I didn't like his review of the first two episodes. So I didn't pull that. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like I said, by the end, I think he came around to like the beauty of this episode or of this season as a whole and just how it kind of all really clicks together. And I really like the comments, too, about that Ahsoka-Sabine team-up and even, you know, Sabine with developing Jedi skills, which, of course, was a big conversation in the Ahsoka live-action show. Yeah, I really liked these this set of quotes that you pulled. I think that it just sort of underscores how we feel, both you and I, about the ending of Rebels and how it just all comes together and how it's just sort of like incredible the way that it all comes together Mm -hmm. and how it just is fully moving and how all these different pieces, specifically the piece of Ezra's connection to animals, which felt, it never felt random, but it did feel different. And I like that it has something to do with the very end Mm -hmm. of the story here. I feel like the last four episodes of Rebels are some of the best Star Wars 
ever. Yeah, I'm glad that he came around on this because he was very critical in the past couple of seasons. And I agree generally with those criticisms. But what I do wish is that he talked a little bit about Chopper again. Maybe he, I wish we got a like a redemption arc. As if you haven't listened to our other episodes, Kevin hated Chopper (laughs) and thought Chopper was bad (laughs) and just annoying. And we here at Sky Talkers are obsessed with Chopper. So that was confusing and weird. And, <laughs> and we really were hoping for like a Chopper redemption arc for Kevin. Um, <laughs> and that didn't happen clearly. Yeah, so, he really just kind of stopped writing about Chopper at a certain point. He was like, I'm done. I cannot He's tolerate like, this out. weird robot. <laughs> yeah, I'm, There's also no comment about the fact that it was revealed in the final episode that Dave Filoni voiced Chopper. I, I really wanted him to comment on that. I, I really no wanted comment. to read his review about Jedi Knight. Uh, I was really curious to see his thoughts on that episode, but whatever. It's fine. It's not fine. I was, like I said, I was kind of upset and I was like, I can't believe I led us on this path for all of these seasons and then I've got nothing in season four. Okay, so maybe your one final lesson is to skip ahead if we're going to make this a series. Yeah, I guess guess I should. I guess I should. But he did did review some of season four. He did. He did. And and, yeah, and Kevin, if you ever are listening to this, I really did enjoy all of your reviews for Star Wars Rebels and I think our listeners did too. So I don't think he's reviewed any other Star Wars. So I would love to know what his thoughts are on everything that has come out since. Especially, I'm pretty sure that Rebels was his first. I think he watched Rebels before he watched Clone Wars. Uh, So I would love to know what his thoughts are, especially now with the Ahsoka show and everything. But yeah, so those were those were our Kevin Kevin Johnson reviews from the AV Club. Um, came to an ending, <laughs> but overall a positive ending. And I am glad that we uh, pulled him pulled his reviews to kind of talk about throughout these seasons. All right, well, are we ready to move into part two? Yes, let's do it. All right, welcome to part two, where we're talking about characters and themes. I feel like we usually just kind of focus on themes, but of course that usually kind of devolves into characters too. And I feel like season four, of course it has overarching themes, but it's really focused, I think, on character growth and seeing where all of our characters have really landed now that we're coming to the end of everything. This season has a huge focus on Sabine and Ezra and their relationship together. They are together in in nearly every single episode (laughs) and we see them take on a lot of leadership roles, even more so than what they've been doing in the past. And of course, we open up this season with the great episode on Mandalore uh, where they rescue Sabine's dad. So there's a lot of character development there and getting to know Sabine's total family with her dad, which when I started season four, that was before we knew what happened to Sabine's family in the Ahsoka show. And I rewatched it a couple nights ago now that I do know what's happened to them. And it just, it hits different. It hits different. It's, I, you finished, we should say this, you finished our Rebels rewatch before I did. And going through it while watching Ahsoka concurrently was really interesting because I could see a lot of parallels and everything. And yeah, it really is crazy that we start the season on Mandalore and Sabine's whole arc where she's sort of tying up those loose ends before she can go. Like if you look at the entire season as a whole, you see that we start with Sabine tying up those loose ends with Mandalore and feeling more... Um, comfortable with her like birth family before she can really help her like 
found family at the very end. And I think that it really is wild that like in the last season, we learned all of these like really complicated relationships that she has with her her mom, her brother. And then we start this season and now knowing that her parents died and I think her brother too, right? Yeah, they all did. It's so sad <laughs> because it's just <laughs> because she has this um, a lot of growth, like you mentioned in the very beginning of the season where then she can move on to in a lot of ways, like Sabine is a teenager that is going through her own hero's journey and like growing up and coming of age and things like that. Right. And her dealing with this past that she feels such guilt about and I think is uh, was a really great place to start. Because she really was like basically passing the baton over to Bo-Katan by the very end and was very confident in that. And so she, her having that confidence, I think, moves her into having that confidence in the very end in Ezra, too. But yeah, I'm so with you. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on this like uh, tirade about this part. But um, I'm so with you and that it really does hit different now knowing yeah. what happens to her parents in or like before the events of Ahsoka. Yeah, especially because like Ezra and Tristan have some fun moments together in because in those episodes, right, uh, they go to dismantle the Duchess, the weapon that's being created, and they have some cute moments there. And I was laughing and then I got sad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but, but I think these RIP. episodes. Oh, truly, truly. And I think these episodes are great, though, because so much has changed uh, when it comes to Mandalore in the present timeline, right? Like, I had almost forgotten that these episodes actually take place on Mandalore because forgive me, I'll never remember the timeline. I'll say that till the end of time. But they take place on Mandalore. And, you know, everything with the Darksaber and Bo-Katan and even the Duchess, the weapon, all of that. There are a lot of interesting tidbits set up here that continue to have development into, into other shows, be it The Mandalorian and into the Ahsoka show as well. So I think they're I think they're really interesting. And I really enjoyed watching them. I think, you know, like I said, Sabine and Ezra get a lot of screen time in this in this season. And I really liked how there's a quote from Dave where he talks about how they both like they grew up together, right? And that they kind of become, I guess, like the mini-me's of Kanan and Hera. I will say he points out in Rebels Recon that it is not romantic. And I was yeah, like... Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I was like, why are we squashing the ship, Dave? Sure, like, Dave. Sure, like, sure I'm Jan. rarely critical of Dave Filoni, but I just don't love that. I, so. I don't love it either, especially when in these episodes on Mandalore, Ezra definitely makes some comp like when he meets Sabine's dad for the first time and the dad is goes, are you with Sabine? And Ezra goes, yeah, I'm with her. I mean, not with her, with not her, with her, with not her. with her, with yeah. her. I'm just like here to rescue you with her. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know that <laughs> that kind of reads. It's, it's kind of tropey. It's on his mind, right? <laughs> if he, he doesn't want you to think that he's thinking about thinking about that. <laughs> and it's listen, I don't know if I ship it. I really don't know but I would if they hinted at it and I just don't love I don't I don't want to take it off the table exactly yeah exactly yeah so and then also at the end of that episode Sabine and Ezra share what I think was a very like emotional look together when Sabine finally gives the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and she's standing on the platform and Ezra is down below and they just look at each other for like a very significant 
moment, I felt. But whatever, it's fine. The point is, however, is that they are paired together a lot in this season. And Dave does talk about this, about how they have become this duo who can depend on each other in a similar way that Kanan and Hera can, even if it's not romantic. And the way that they have grown up and that they've mirrored Kanan and Hera a lot. And I do think when you look at this season as a whole, what you said earlier, Charlotte, about tying up loose ends, we have Sabine kind of tie up. We start the season with her kind of big episode, right? It's about her and her family and tying up those loose ends on Mandalore with the Duchess, with her family, all of that. And Ezra is super supportive of that whole mission, right? They have left Phoenix Squadron specifically to help Sabine on this mission to rescue her father and and all of that. So we start out the season there and then we end it of course, with the rescue of Lethal. But then more than that, it's that personal story between Sabine and Ezra at the very end where Sabine is the one that he, that Ezra trusts to let him go, essentially, right? And that fabulous, I literally just rewatched this before we recorded, of when Ezra sneaks out of the dome on Lethal to go confront Thrawn. Um, and he has to sneak away because Hera won't let him leave. And Sabine is the one who provides the distraction and lets him go. And again, they share like some looks and I, I don't really read those as romantic, but it's just it's that level of trust that they have with each other. And of course, then Sabine is the one that does eventually go out and find Ezra in season four and kind of makes it her mission then. And I really... You really do see how much they've grown up over the season and all of these times that they're together throughout season four and the ways that they lean on each other, the ways that they are going on these missions together, taking leadership roles and are kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They are compensating where the other is not failing but needs help or needs extra support using their skills to further the mission and pick up what the other one lacks for kind of lack of a better word. Yeah, fully. I think that they're like a yin and yang in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that writers sort of use them as that, especially in this season, like never before (laughs) than more in this season. I think if I could pivot a little bit, one thing, I know that we started off by saying that this season, it might be more helpful to talk about characters and versus themes. I really felt so strongly, and I watched this season, I think I watched more episodes at a time than you did, Caitlin. Mm -hmm. I really felt like this season was really about guilt and resolving that guilt with understanding destiny. Like if we could really think, and I know that's like a big, big uh, overarching thing to say, but each of these characters felt so much guilt towards so many things specifically beginning with Sabine feeling guilt about her creation of the weapon and not knowing what to do with the dark saber and feeling like she's not worthy of the dark saber and feeling guilt over having how, like, what do we do with it and my relationship to Mandalore and things like that. Right. And then understanding that maybe she can find someone who is actually worthy of wielding it and how, who has like a destiny to wield it. And we now have this knowledge that, Bo-Katan is destined to wield the, the Darksaber, as we saw in the last season of The Mandalorian, right? So we we feel this confidence. I felt a confidence in Sabine's decision to give um, Bo-Katan the Darksaber. I felt that in this season of Rebels, but I feel that even more now when that guilt for her is sort of resolved. 
And then I feel like we have this guilt constantly with um, even uh, Canaan when Canaan feels guilt over the fact that Hera is captured and later sort of swaps places with Hera um, and sacrifices himself ultimately. And then we feel this sense of like destiny towards all these choices in this resolving of this guilt. And I really hope I'm like hammering this home. But the first half of the season is really about establishing how these characters, our entire ghost crew feels a lot of guilt around, like even Ezra, okay? Even Ezra feels a lot of guilt over the fact that he hasn't been able to free Lothal, which ends up being the main catalyst of this entire series in a lot of ways, where the the finale of the series is freeing Lothal. And I've always loved how Rebels is very small scale in this, that we're really focused on one planet. We see the um the destruction of the empire and a lot of other planets of course especially in the past seasons but this specific season really focuses on the fact that in season three we did not get to have a battle of lothal we were gearing up for that entire season to finally have some freedom for the people of lothal and then in season four we get to this point where that guilt can finally be resolved due to sacrifice and so all these things kind of go very hand in hand but the series and this, this season specifically works really hard to uh, convince you that, and it works, to convince you that this guilt is misplaced and like the path that they're on is destined. It's exactly where they should be. Um, and I think that Dave Filoni uses the world between worlds in order to show that destiny for both Ahsoka's character, but specifically for Kanan's character when he sacrifices himself for the rest of the ghost crew, specifically Hera. And I think that then after that, of course, Hera has that guilt, but when Ezra has that chance to change that fate in the world between worlds and bring back Kanan the way that he ripped Ahsoka from her own timeline when she was, uh, when she was fighting Vader she doesn't, I mean, Ezra doesn't do that because Ahsoka then kind of shows shows Ezra that this is his destiny, that the sacrifice means so much. And we find out later, of course, that the sacrifice is much more than just the ghost crew, but instead completely blows up the fuel supply for the Empire, rendering them useless on that planet and gives them a major opportunity in order to take the planet. And all of these things are all set in place. And then Again, here I go on my monologue. I'm sorry. But I feel like the uh, the fact that then we have the loath wolves who feel as like conduits of destiny in the same way that almost Ahsoka is when they're in um, the world between worlds. There's so many like mystical pieces in this. I feel like the loath wolves then represent, especially when we get Doom, the giant loath wolf who sort of expresses the will of Kanan Jarrus and Caleb Doom. Um, I guess, about how all of this was so destined and how you shouldn't feel so much guilt around his sacrifice and his death and everything that led it led to this. And it's sad, but it's all part of the motion in order to free thousands of people um, on Lothal. And I I just, I say that just because I feel like the series were, as a whole works really hard to resolve guilt um, with like retribution and uh, destiny and confidence in people's decisions uh, that led them to this specific spot at the very end. Yeah, I think um, I think feeling of guilt is the right term, but I think what you what else you wrote in our notes actually describes it better, and that is clarity of purpose. Um, I think when you yeah. were talking, I was thinking about 
yes, these characters have guilt towards um, what's happening, but it's also a sense of duty for what they're supposed to do, this clarity of purpose, which I think goes along with what you were saying about destiny, and then also kind of seeing how far they're willing to go towards that clarity of purpose and duty. I think when we talk about someone like Sabine at the beginning of the season, we see her go pretty far when it comes to the Duchess, um, where she, I don't know what she does exactly, but she basically reverses the Duchess to attack uh, Gar Saxon and Bo-Katan has to like talk her off the ledge, right? We see her go to kind of a dark place to how far she's willing to go, even when Kanan dies and her and Zeb's response is, let's go, like, let's go blow some stuff up for the Empire, you know? But that's also, I think that does go back to your feeling of guilt too. But I think overall, when we're looking at our two Jedi, this clarity of purpose really feels full circle for the two of them, for Kanan and Ezra, yeah, um, especially totally. when you're talking about the wolf and the loath wolves, which a uh, uh, total aside, but I love how none of the animals on Lethal have unique names. They're just loath bat, loath cat, loath wolf, <laughs> like just put loath, loth, however you say it in front and then give it our name. <laughs> Whereas the purgle, they have a different name. You know what I mean? I just think it's funny. I found myself thinking about that when loath bats showed up somewhere. And oh, I know. There's so many loath things. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of funny. But yeah, that, that clarity of purpose with Kanan and Ezra, the, seeing the paths in front of them, knowing what they have to do. Um, they even, both of them even say in different ways about, I think, you know, Ezra's speech at the end of the season of there are many paths. This wasn't the one I wanted, but it's what had to be done, essentially. And I think that's where Kanan arrives to as well, especially through his conversations with the wolves, which also, an aside, I forgot how big the big wolf was. <laughs> and when he came on I would say stage, too big. No, never big enough. <laughs> Should he be bigger? <laughs> he can be bigger. He walked up to screen and I was like, whoa, baby, I forgot how big he was. Also, like, the face is so realistic i like the look of the other loath wolves bigger than the huge doom one it's yeah they're modeled after he's what, too like big the, the, <laughs> not too big <laughs> i yeah i but i forgot how large that wolf was until he's huge he comes I'm like, where have you been hiding like i don't really see a lot of trees on lethal <laughs> no he's not hiding he's mystical he just exists he is in, caleb doom he, right yeah exactly is he yeah okay anyway no he is <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, but to make it more serious again, the clarity of purpose, which if we're in our TLJ headspace, peace and purpose, that was, that was the big thing for Luke Skywalker yes. at the end of The Last Jedi. And I think we really pulled that into Star Wars Rebels. And I think that is intentional too. I don't think that's our TLJ brains on overload. I think Kanan and Ezra both had that moment of peace and purpose. I think that was a big part of season four and seeing that resolve of how they get there. If we're thinking about those parallels between like Kanan and Hera and Sabine and Ezra, we have a lot of conversations between Kanan and Hera, basically Kanan wanting to DTR to find the relationship kind of all season. And that's kind of their back and forth until we finally get to that moment where it's resolved. And then that's, you know, that's when Kanan makes his sacrifice. Star Wars is tragedy. Am I right? And it's something similar I think we see 
not exactly similar. Obviously, it's not romantic, but between Savine and Ezra and the way that they're paired together throughout the season, they're working together, working as one, taking on these leadership roles. And then they are also ultimately separated at the end of the season through this clarity of purpose with Ezra. Kanan saves them all. And then so does Ezra as well. And it really it really does feel like a parallel to what Luke does at the end of The Last Jedi as well. And yeah, I think that I think all of those terms that you brought up kind of you feel throughout the season. Yeah, I really just feel like there's a big shift from guilt into clarity. Um, Yeah, I should have said clarity of purpose from the beginning. But yeah, and I just I really feel like there's also a really strong feeling of destiny too throughout this entire season, obviously. Um, I, and I really like that. I think anytime destiny and like the confidence that you can have from like an audience perspective in that this is the way things could, things should go is really powerful. And I felt that throughout this entire season, especially in the end. And I think that's sort of why, if I could just defend myself a little bit, I would, as much as I always wanted to know what happened to Ezra at the end, and we got that answer finally, I felt so confident in his decision in order to save Lothal that if I never found that out, I'd still feel like that decision was his decision to take Thrawn to wherever they went in another galaxy and jump to hyperspace with um, the Purgles in order to remove the Empire from from Lothal was the strongest decision that he could make. And um, I just always felt like all of this was so filled with destiny and then we had um we also had this amazing growth from season one to now of Ezra and Kanan working together and learning from each other in a lot of ways like both of them learned from each other so much the whole like one last lesson thing we should talk about a little bit more what was that one last lesson was the one last lesson to understand the the sacrifice and like how important sacrifice is yeah. Yeah. I think that's the last lesson. Yeah. And I think that ha- that being like such a a key theme and not just the marketing of the show, which maybe we haven't talked about enough, but that was a huge part of the marketing of season four is that this season was going to be, especially the latter half of the season was quote, one last lesson and Ezra bringing that up. And then also that in our, in our brains too, when The Last Jedi came out, Ray was supposed to be given three lessons from Luke Skywalker and she only had two. And then we hear Ezra having one last lesson and that lesson being sacrifice. It all kind of lines up with how important sacrifice is even in The Last Jedi with the character like Luke Skywalker too. Until we got to The Last Jedi DVD and they were like, well, we just cut the last lesson. Yeah, exactly. We didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) But it it also works in a lot of ways in that – even though they cut that scene and that's totally fine, like whatever, um, it doesn't matter that Ray only had two out of three lessons, like it's fine. But if if we want to think about these things in conjunction, which I want to because I think about Star Wars as this rich tapestry of all these different stories that all work together in their own way to reinforce many different themes, I will say that maybe that last lesson was sacrifice, right? And... Yeah, just understanding that all of this was purposeful. And I remember so many people getting so upset over Kanan's death. And it is an extremely sad episode. But the series works so hard to convince you that 
that choice wasn't for nothing and that that happened for a reason to get us to where the entire series was trying to go this entire time. Yeah, and I think this would be a good time. We have a, another kind of section about the force, but I do have some quotes from Dave since we're talking about Kanan, about Kanan and the wolves and kind of the whole trajectory to his ultimate sacrifice. So I think what's also just fun in kind of our contextualizing of season four to remember is that the episode Rebel Assault was the season finale, uh, mid-season finale. And I think that would have come out I didn't put the date, but I think it would have come out before The Last Jedi came out, which Rebel Assault is the episode where Hera gets captured. Um, when we see her in the X-Wing, the whole thing, and Kanan meets the wolves for the first time on the Lothal Highway. I don't know if that road has an actual name, but it's probably called the Lothal Highway or the Loth Highway, just like everything else is called Lothbat, Lothcat, <laughs> all of that. Exactly. <laughs> But that was the last episode for the mid-season. So from Rebels Recon of the episode Rebel Assault, Dave says this about Kanan and the Loth Wolf. He says, you start to get an understanding that Kanan is learning about what these wolves are and how they relate to him. The hero sometimes just needs a bit of a guide or a way to focus his thoughts and understanding. And that's what the wolves are doing. So he already knows the truth of what's going on in his life and what he needs to do to be the person he's meant to be. Guides can only get you so far and then you have to take action. You have to own the action. So there's a bit of that going on. And then after the episodes Jedi Knight and Doom, which was the episode where we kind of see everyone dealing with their grief, Dave says this about Kanan's death. He talks about how Freddie Prince Jr., who's the voice actor, always thought that Kanan should die and had been talking to Dave about this kind of from the beginning of Rebels. And then Dave says, Freddie from the very beginning has been talking to me about the need for his character to go. And I think a lot of people over the years, fans I've heard kind of throw out that, well, yes, he has to die. A lot of them think of it more in terms of, well, because Yoda says there are no other Jedi, but that's not why. He has to die as an example of how to be selfless, of how to become enlightened. And I think, you know, I think sometimes in fandom, when we look at kind of a sacrificial death in these kind of big franchises, it's kind of like, okay, and we talk about this a lot on Sky Talkers too, of, okay, why the character doesn't have to die, right? We talk about this with Ahsoka all the time and and how Dave talked about Ahsoka coming up through the Clone Wars of she doesn't actually have to die, right? Like sacrifice doesn't have to be the only end result here for someone to be selfless versus selfish, right? But I think that these stories, sacrifice does come into play at times for some of our characters, especially when we're looking at this idea of large-scale war and large-scale storytelling and like the fight of humanity too, right? Like I don't, I don't like when characters die, right? And I don't know. I'm kind of not finding a good way to explain this. But when I think about like Kanan, Ezra, Luke Skywalker, and even Ben Solo at the end of the last Je or at the end of the rise of Skywalker, some of these sacrifices not hit better because <laughs> none of them do. But I see the purpose in them. And, you know, for me, I see the purpose in the sacrifice of Kanan, Ezra, and Luke Skywalker. And I, I can... I can rationalize it for Ben Solo. I think I always kind of thought of that as a possibility, but it doesn't have the same, uh, what's the word here? It doesn't have the same story payoff for me, um, for Ben Solo in the way that those other characters I mentioned 
do. I think because with a character like Kanan, we kind of had this buildup and even seeing what it would take to bring him back with Ezra in the world between worlds and the those moments of grief from the rest of the ghost crew. And even we had time with Luke Skywalker for like Leia and Rey to feel the effects of his sacrifice. And then for the ghost crew to feel the sacrifice of Ezra as well at the end of season four. Um, I think there is a time and a place for sacrifice to be a good journey for a character. And I think it's interesting how, from my personal opinions of Star Wars, some have worked better than others. And I think that the way that Dave talked about a character like Kanan ultimately having a sacrifice that resulted in death, I think was really important um, in kind of everything that was happening for Kanan throughout the series to go from someone who was literally hiding his his force abilities to someone who that's ultimately what he uses every single ounce of ability he has to save the people that he loves. And we see a similar uh, use of the force and of that confidence from Ezra too. Obviously it doesn't end with Ezra's death, but it is a huge sacrifice on Ezra's part as well at the end of the series too. So I don't know, that was a bit of a monologue too. And I'm still, like I said, I'm not sure if I explained it exactly how I see it in my head, but I, I think it's it's good to talk about these moments of sacrifice and of character death because I, I don't always want my characters to die and I don't always like feeling that they have to die for the plot to move forward, but also that kind of does have to happen sometimes and it's all about the how it actually ends up happening uh, in the story. And I think that Kanan's, especially now, however many years out from it we are, I see so much, like I see the story and I appreciate the story of how it happened. Obviously, I'm still sad he died, but I I like the story and I like how we got to that point. Yeah, I do too. And I think it's mainly because we've had such a focus on, like, especially in season three, which we talked about a lot on this show about the relationship between Kanan and Ezra and how it's so sweet and open and they like cry together. Yeah. <laughs> very um an intense relationship that we see this like Caden as a father figure towards Ezra and what these two men sort of teach each other. And I think that we saw that so clearly that I could understand and see why his sacrifice would mean so much as well and how Ezra could learn from that because we've been watching him learn consistently from Kanan. And Again, like I said already, I think this show works really hard to convince you that it's a really smart choice that they, for lack of a better term, killed Kanan off. And because there's several episodes afterwards that sort of reinforce this point. We see Hera's, um, she's inconsolable in a lot of ways about his death. But then we see, like I mentioned, in the world between worlds, we see this realization that um, Ezra just needs to let go. And we see it again with this like huge concept, of course, of letting go with Ezra and his own like parents that with with Palpatine and Palpatine showing this like vision of saving his parents and bringing them back. And it's basically the same thing that had happened in the episode before it or the episode in half before it with the world between worlds and how he was given this opportunity to save Kanan, but no, but knows how much that sacrifice like really will pay off later. 
And it's weird to think about things as like death versus payoff, but we're talking about story here and it just kind of works, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Well, it's like what Ahsoka says in The World Between Worlds. Like if you pull Kanan out of the moment that he's needed most or Kanan saw the moment that he was needed most, and if you take him out of it, it's all for naught. And yeah, it, it doesn't accomplish anything. In fact, you lose more than what you think you're gaining. Right. Right. I wrestle a little bit with why it's okay with Ahsoka to do that. To be saved from the World Between Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And her fight with Vader, which seemed perilous. And of course, we already have that. Based off the timeline of the show, we've already seen Ahsoka walk away from this fight with Vader. So we already know that she has walked away. So maybe that helps story-wise for me to conceptualize, okay, so what happened between this time period when she jumps back through that portal after Ezra saved her? But I still don't know why. Why Kanan had to die and Ahsoka didn't. And I know that that, that's the purpose of the show and that episode (laughs) is to sort of put (laughs) these two things side by side and you feel one way about Kanan's versus Ahsoka's. But... I And I guess like because we saw her walk away, we know that that's her destiny. I guess that's sort of how I'm wrestling it with in my brain. But I would just will say that as a fan, I sort of struggle with that, with um, these two choices. Like I, I think a little bit about what, if we're going to have the conversation about Ben Solo and if Ray was given a, the same choice, I don't think I'd be okay with her walking away from the portal in the same way that she did that Ezra did for Kanan. Well, I guess that would be the moment, that would be the the conversation. And what is the moment that she's pulling Ben out of? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I think that's the and difference. It's... But I, I see what you're saying though, because it is, and I think people had this conversation back when this aired too, of like, why Kanan over Ahsoka? This isn't, why does Ahsoka get to live in this show that isn't even hers? <laughs> but I think that's also part of it too. It's not her show and in the way that I think we can kind of look at this episode like Twilight of the Apprentice and how Ahsoka's role in that episode really really kind of overshadows I think in like as you say the zeitgeist of Star Wars fandom everything else going on in that episode when it comes to like Kanan and Ezra uh, and like the rest of the ghost crew I think people point to the Ahsoka Vader duel as a standout in general and I think that that is, Which like same. Yeah, I do no, too. No, same. Yeah, absolutely. I'm raising yeah. my hand. <laughs> um, and I think that might have happened too if it had been Ahsoka, like if this had been where we saw Ahsoka's death as well. But I think to have been able to grow Kanan throughout these episodes, especially like when we talk about his relationship with Hera and what, what they finally, like that uh, confession that we finally get from Hera that's the emotional pool. That's what, that's the Star Wars' tragedy of it. We wouldn't have that same kind of connection with Ahsoka. Not like, I didn't say that well. Obviously we would have, that Ahsoka's death would have overshadowed what happened, but this isn't Ahsoka's show. And so having that time with Kanan and Hera throughout the entirety of the season leading up to Kanan sacrificing himself for Hera and the rest of the Ghost crew that I think hits different. And that is, if the show is ultimately about Ezra, that is Ezra's person as we've talked about. And so the sacrifice, similar to how Luke sees Obi-Wan's sacrifice in A New Hope, I think that is why, not why it had to be Kanan, but why it was 
better for Ezra's character development for it to be Kanan rather than Ahsoka, at least in this instance. Agree. Yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. I think it is it is the question of why does anyone have to die? <laughs> yeah. And I do wonder about these choices. But I think if I were Dave Filoni and I someone asked him, why would you kill Kanan over Ahsoka in this moment? I think he would say because... I think you would talk about Ezra and Kanan and about it's their relationship. And in order for Ezra to learn the last lesson, it has to come from Kanan in the way that it can't come from Ahsoka, even though Ahsoka is someone who is a guide to Ezra, much like how we see mm-hmm. the wolves as a guide to Kanan in this moment. And she's definitely a mentor for Ezra, but she's not, she doesn't have that relationship with him like Kanan does. And I think furthermore too, when we talked about season one, about the parallel between the end of season one and the end of season four, we talked about the difference in the choices that Ezra makes in season one versus season four. And Ezra's emotion, he's so ruled by his emotions when it comes to his family, the idea of his parents being alive and Kanan is captured at the end of season one and Ezra drops everything to save Kanan. And he's put in, and he's put in the same situation here at the end of season four, but now he's matured and grown up and has the mentor of Ahsoka to understand the difference in these situations when it comes to Kanan and that this isn't, he can't, he can't change what's happened in this moment, even though it feels like he should be able to. Right. I do feel like there's a sense that even after Kanan's death, it's not like he's really gone. Mm -hmm. Like no one's ever really gone. Right. Yeah. Like we have the giant wolf, which we've discussed. And then we also (laughs) like, I don't really know how to talk about this, honestly, but like we have Jason and we know what's so interesting is that Vanessa Marshall didn't know that was happening until no. the show aired. No one knew except and for Tia Sakar. I know. She had to keep that secret for like a year or something. I couldn't do it. No. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I think I'd call up Vanessa and be like, girl. <laughs> girl, you had a baby. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've, like I said, I don't really know how to talk about this sort of like in a kosher, like chill way but I actually think it's <laughs> the right choice and I've I felt like this since the very beginning of when they aired and I know this is controversial but obviously now I love little Jason after we saw him in Ahsoka but I at this time I really felt like I felt a sense of peace with the fact that like Hera wasn't Kanan, Hera wasn't alone and I get that even more now with Ahsoka knowing that in the show, Ahsoka, knowing that Hera was sort of separated from like Zeb, from Sabine, like they're not together anymore and as a crew, but instead like Kanan does live on through, through Jason. And there's this sense of like, no, his sacrifice lives on because then Ezra was able to do the same sort of sacrifice and yes we don't know whether he lived or died and that was confirmed actually which i think is interesting in retrospect that dave says that ezra and jason and uh, sorry ezra and thrawn didn't die at the end of this he says that in rebels recon which came out like an hour after the finale aired so like that was really smart for Dave to do that or else there would be a whole other like hashtag Ezra lives. As, <laughs> he was like, I'm not doing whole that convers- <laughs> yeah, He's like, I'm not going through that again. There's no need for that to be ambiguous. Like he lives. It's okay. And I think that just that the concept that there's all these actions that Kanan like went through 
that really like live on that his presence is very much felt and like the father figure towards Ezra and then obviously like straight up fathering um Jason like there's that too like again I don't know how to talk about this without being weird but the the entire like concept of what's next in terms of like peace I think that's a sense of peace in a lot of ways and for Hera which she is that mother figure and so it sort of just makes sense to me. It's a little on the nose, but it does make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think if I could go back to this conversation we were having about sacrifice and when it works and when it doesn't and, you know, why Canaan over Ahsoka. And I think it does come back to that idea of peace and purpose. You think about Ahsoka's last moments in she, she's not at peace when we see her with Vader. Right. She's, you know, in a right. place of revenge. Actually the opposite. Really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I would say the same for Luke, Luke and Kanan have that moment of peace and purpose. And then so does Ezra as well. And then, but like for me, I don't interpret that for, for Ben Solo. I think you can, but I guess I don't think it was executed very well. Um, I think it's, it's kind of there, obviously, with his, um, you know, bringing Ray back to life. But I think there's a difference. Things don't feel resolved with with Ben or and they wouldn't have felt resolved, I think, with Ahsoka, where we had left her character arc. Whereas now, I think in the Ahsoka show, she's gone through that turmoil, that uh, clarity when it comes to Anakin specifically um, back in the world between worlds <laughs> in the show Ahsoka. So I think I think she would have a little bit more peace and purpose now, like if she had died at the end of the Ahsoka show. Um that would have felt a little bit more resolved because I think ultimately if a character is going to sacrifice themselves, I think that I want them. I, I think that would be, is the mark of a good sacrifice that the character has, has that resolve and has come to that clarity of purpose for the sacrifice to feel at all satisfactory or earned or perhaps worth it is the right word choice here. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what the end here is of my conversation. Obviously I, like I said, I don't like it when my characters die. <laughs> I didn't like it when any of those characters died or when Ezra left. <laughs> um, but I think the execution of how they happened, I can see the purpose and I can see what it means to have them go through that sacrifice. And I do feel satisfaction there. Agreed. I also think just one final note, Dave Filoni saying, you just have to trust me. In the in the Rebels recon, what a troll. Uh, I know of <laughs> of uh, after Jedi Knight, he said, you know, people are going to be upset about this, but you just have to trust me. You're just going to have to trust me. And it's like, okay, Dave, I'm with you. He's still but... he's still gone though. <laughs> Yeah, he's still gone. He's still gone. <laughs> and like I do, the conversation that we're having right now is because I trusted Dave Filoni for that end piece of the series, and I I agree with the sacrifice. And I made they made a real conscious effort to show how much that sacrifice meant and the payoff at all of it all. So yes, Dave, I do trust you. But oh boy, man, that hurt. <laughs> it really. Oh did. man, yeah. Another thing I wanted to touch on sort of as like a closing piece in this section is the fact that to the end of the series, Ezra was a really good character to demonstrate the nature versus machine of the rebellion versus the empire that we see in Return of the Jedi, that we see sort of throughout everything in Star Wars. And the fact that 
there's such a cool scene of the wolves attacking the Imperials and like humanity going against evil and it's like all so friends. It's so vicious, but like what comes before it is like all the people and the friends that Ezra has been nice to that has made like all come together to help this boy. And like so much so that I, that's even what Hondo says is like, I'll do anything. I'll lay down my life for that boy. And it's like those small moments can can all align to this huge big picture moment in which a planet earns their freedom. Yeah. It's based off of like one. Yes. And the, that spark can be as small as just having humor, having like kindness towards another person. And like that all is demonstrated at the end here. And like that's not necessarily nature versus machine, but I think it's very important for Ezra's character. And nature versus machine obviously is the Purgles and the even the the cats and the wolves like coming together. I think it's so cool and it is super vicious, like you said. I don't know. It just really goes hand in hand to me with like the Ewoks versus the Empire in Return of the Jedi and just really captures that spirit that George Lucas talked about so much in that movie specifically about like small versus like large and how the little guys can always win. And the wolves are clearly not the little guys, but <laughs> it is that that aspect of like the planet fighting back. And that just really reinforces the small scale nature of Rebels as a show and the story overall. Yeah. Yeah. And not to keep bringing The Last Jedi into this, but uh, we see that too on Canto Bite with the little kid at the end with yes. Rose's ring and then also the, the whole storyline with the Fadiers and how they, you know, are freed at the end from what's happening. That was the general like ethos that was going on in Lucasfilm at this time when things were all um, being developed. And I love that because it, it goes back to the original spirit of Star Wars, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. I think we've, since we've been talking about Kanan, I think we should also kind of talk about the force and the, the, the Loth wolves in general and kind of everything that's happening with the force here. I do think it was funny in some of the Rebels recon, especially after the world between worlds, Taylor Gray was asked if he understood the world between worlds, like what it was. Cause they record these, they would record their episodes before they're animated. So I think the the process would Dave would have some storyboards and then would kind of tell them what's happening and describe it, but they don't always see it. And I thought it was funny that Taylor said in Rebels Recon, he said something to the effect of, yeah, I totally understood the world between worlds way better than the Lothwolves. Like, did not get those at all, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. One thing I want to bring up on the podcast. Oh, my God. Okay. I could be wrong about this because I did not cross-reference this, but the – okay, so remember the crazy moment when all the rebels are on top of the wolves and then they, like, get wormhole transported to the other <laughs> side of the planet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> it's, like, so cool. And then basically a hyperspace moment happens and in a couple of these instances, it's not – it doesn't happen just once, this wolf transport – but like you hear other voices, you hear things from the past yeah. of the rebels, not just people, not just like the world between worlds voices from like literally the Star we Wars hear movies. Kanan but just, in the very first episode. Yeah, hear, exactly. And it's very cool. And that wormhole hyperspace vibe looks a little different than the hyperspace that you see when you actually go to hyperspace. And to me, it reminded me a lot of the hyperspace and like the weirdness that you were traveling with in the Ahsoka show when Ahsoka and Hu Yang and everyone was traveling via whale to Peridia. 
And that hyperspace was like really trippy and different and looked different. It was very similar to this. And it's sort of like, is this the force at work versus like machine when you go and use like a hyperdrive to jump to hyperspace? It's very cool. It's just interesting to think about. Yeah, I need to go back and actually compare the two when because when you said this, I, I meant to and then didn't. But like the thing is, is even if it's not one to one, they look different in the same way that yeah. those two instances look different from like what we would see in the Millennium Falcon when you're going to hyperspace. And I think that's cool. Yeah, exactly. And definitely purposeful on Dave Filoni's part. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, we'll probably focus a little bit more on the wolves themselves here and like what's going on on Lethal, just because we've talked a ton about the world between worlds, especially recently. I, I feel like we're just repeating the same thing in all these episodes about the world between worlds. So spoiler, I'm not going to read the Dave quotes about the world between worlds because <laughs> I think I've read them on three out of our last five episodes or however many it is. <laughs> But I do want to talk about the wolves because they've been something that have always kind of question, been a huge question mark for me. The world between worlds it somehow felt easier to kind of take in than the wolves. But I really liked going through this episode and kind of revisiting them because I don't think we talk about them a ton. I don't think fandom talks about them a ton or really their place in the force. Um, this is also when we had Follow the White Lothcat come up um, in everything, in all the marketing. Actually, that was just Dave's marketing. Um, Dave Filoni was not active on Twitter. He would tweet every once in a while, but he always did follow the white Lothcat as a hashtag whenever he was traveling. Um, and this was the celebration too when they sold Lothcats at Celebration Europe, which they have not sold these plushes ever again. This is the plush that I ended up with the next year. Um, but anyway, so Dave said this about the Lothwolves. Um, he said, they're a long play as far as what they are. They were a very difficult thing to do because I think that thing because I think that things like these wolves can be challenging for some viewers. The wolves are definitely tied into something mystical, so there's a lot there I hope to unpack and discover. By some people, wolves are seen as a terrible thing and something to be feared. By others, a positive thing and something that brings balance to the environment. They're almost a nature of the force to me of a good and an evil and a balance within them. And this is from Rebels Recon, and I really think that this is a great quote that kind of put the wolves in a new perspective for me and in a lot of ways reminded me of our conversation about the Bendu and this idea of balance and is balance necessarily a good thing like we think it is <laughs> because the Bendu is technically balanced and we saw him do some pretty for lack of a better word, unbalanced things at the end of season three with the storm and everything like that, that he became. And the wolves, I think, are kind of another iteration of that in that they could be evil or they could be good. And it's kind of, you kind of get the feeling, especially before Kanan becomes a wolf, <laughs> that if the ghost crew didn't help them free Lethal, that the wolves would just have easily turned on the ghost crew on Ezra at some point too, um, or had started interfering with their plans as well. But of course, Ezra being Ezra, they sense that he is someone that they can trust. And yeah, I like this idea of the wolves being challenging for some viewers because I think that's part of what's so fun when we talk about weird force stuff and how 
It is challenging. It's not straightforward. And something like this, like the wolves, like you were mentioning earlier, Charlotte, with that nature versus machine that is inherent to kind of the original Star Wars and George's original kind of intents and foundations for Star Wars. We see that here with the Loth wolves and how they have an agency in the way that the Loth cats don't. Um, and they have they have the will of the forest. I think Kanan says something kind of just like that, that they have the will of the force within them or that they, yeah, like they have agency. I think that's the best way to describe it. They have purpose and they are connected to the force in a way that is kind of unknown. Yeah. I'm obsessed with them. They're, I think that you touching on the fact that they could veer into turning on the ghost crew is really interesting and reminds me a little bit of the Bendu and the fact that we, as a viewer, as much as we like the Bendu, like you and I specifically, there is a future in which the Bendu was not helpful to the rebellion at all. And like in a lot of ways, you can look at what happened in the past season and think that the Bendu wasn't that helpful <laughs> to the rebellion. But I think in general, he was pretty helpful to Kanan specifically. And I think uh, you can almost say the same thing about the wolves with Ezra. Um, but without Ezra, maybe not so much. It's interesting. And of course, like, of course, Dave is going to think so deeply about how the wolves affect the plot and <laughs> the the forciness <laughs> of a wolf. Like that is so it's just very expected. But also it was extremely cool and spooky in a lot of ways. Like they, they were kind of creepy. I remember a lot of the conversation in fandom being like, should we trust the wolves? What do we think about the wolves? Like, should we trust them? What is their purpose? And I think in general, the purpose for me is just the will of Caden Jarrus and like the planet as a whole too. But I think ultimately it came down to like understanding that the destiny of the ghost crew is there to help Lothal and the wolves were just helping to enact that. And we're sort of connected in this great like spiritual realm that we think about I don't know, like the cosmic force or the living force. I think that the wolves are probably the living force in the same way that Bendu was. Um, what do you think about that? Because I think that the world between worlds is, of course, the cosmic force. But I think that if the wolves we are think there about, too, though, <laughs> on the drawing, that's tr that's true. But I think that they're almost like there to usher, which mm -hmm. like they quite literally do when they walk yeah. from the wall to create a portal. It's like the living force is there to usher on this like portal for the cosmic force and entering in the cosmic force. Yeah, they're all intertwined. I think that's kind of also I, I, when we talk about the living and cosmic force, we tend to separate them in the way that they we're kind of categorizing the world between world is cosmic. Uh, the Bendu and the Lothwolf says living and, and even some things that happened in that season six arc with Yoda as very cosmic force and Qui-Gon learning to be part of the living force or something like that. Right. But I think they we probably shouldn't separate them as much as we do or rather just acknowledge every once in a while that they are actually connected. You can't really have one without yeah. the other because mm -hmm. the living force is just, I guess I would say the expression of the cosmic force 
in the physical and like nature yeah and nature yeah exactly and you think that, i think I, that's how my brain works yeah with that. yeah exactly and you're right they are kind of this usher they create the gateway to go through the physical into the metaphysical into the astral plane <laughs> of the world between world and i think they kind of form two purposes kind of what we talked about when it comes to the wolves specifically they have two purposes what we were talking about with you know wanting to free lethal but then they also serve as this guide to Canaan, which I think is very interesting because, and, and while you were talking, I was also kind of thinking about how Ezra is the one that we, that we talk about with this connection to the, to nature and everything right like that. Right. But Canaan is the one that had these, I would say, relationships with these beings when it comes to Bendu and the Lothwolves, like they are the ones that are Canaan's guides. Whereas Ezra he has that connection and he obviously has a connection to the loath wolves, but it's, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting thinking about, we don't think of Canaan as having that kind of connection to nature and to creatures in the way that Ezra does, but Canaan actually forms really meaningful relationships with these conduits of the living and like a dash of the cosmic force when it comes to the Bendu and the loath wolves. And like, of course he does, right? Yeah. Because he missed out on his, full Jedi training so he's searching for different pieces of the force and like learning especially activated by meeting Ezra in the very beginning of the series right it's like the furthering of his training how many pieces can he sort of um, learn from and of course you learn from these different pieces of the force from the Bendu from the wolves from I don't know different pieces yeah yeah I really, I still really like that quote from Dave about the wolves being challenging and this idea of, because they were, they were just so weird when they came out and everyone was like, what the, okay. <laughs> it was just, it was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it it was. These wolves. And I actually have a quote from Joel Aaron too from Rebels Recon when the wolves first appeared. He said, it's this thing that's been dropped right into our show that I think single-handedly provided a new pivot point for our characters. And Joel in this context is kind of talking about the animation and how the character, like one, how the wolves are actually animated and how complicated it was, how complex and like how the characters interacted with that animation like with the fur and writing them and all of that but I also think it's kind of a meta quote when you like want to talk about the the actual story the plot too of this new pivot point because everyone sees the wolves too I think sometimes when we have this weird force stuff it's kind of just reserved for our Jedi and our force sensitive people but everyone sees the wolves and there's of course that great quote from Zeb uh, towards the end of the season where he's like yeah yeah when it gets weird like this it's good <laughs> he's like let's go yeah, it's so, good. <laughs> so good it's a good thing it's a good and thing. it is a good thing <laughs> yeah. And I think that that is really meta too, to base like to bring that back to Dave saying that the wolves are challenging. It's like, no, Zeb is here to guide us. <laughs> this is weird and just go with it and it will be satisfying on the opposite end. Yeah. And I think it's also worth mentioning that Dave talked, I think at some point too, Dave is obviously a big fan of Studio Ghibli and that the wolves are, there's a lot of Princess Mononoke in these wolves yes, and, for sure. and in that idea of storytelling when it comes to the nature versus machine. And that's a huge point of Princess Mononoke as well. And wolves yeah, for are sure. a big like, part I, of that too. The the high grasses of it all really yeah. do remind me of um, 
just Studio Ghibli and like that sort of animation. And I think that there's a lot that the giantness of the wolves also remind me of that. Yeah. So, so good. So good. good. Is there anything else you want to mention in this characters and theme section? Well, we haven't talked about kind of one of the big things, which is the rebellion coming together. Yeah. And that is a huge part of season four. Obviously, our ghost crew is kind of stranded on Lethal. That's kind of a big plot point is that they're stranded. They don't have a way off. They don't really have a – at some point, they lose a hyperspace or a communications thing, whatever. They don't have the resources from the rebellion to actually save Lethal. They're on their own. Essentially, until the end, when um, Hera does come back with a squadron, we get to see her in the X-Wings. It's like a really big deal to see her <laughs> in the X-Wings. And I so great. I had forgotten it's how so big great. of a deal it was. Well, and in Rebels Recon, they asked all of the cast and crew, they said, who's the better, who is it? Who's the better pilot? Is it Hera or Poe? Again, this is like right as The Last Jedi is about to come out. <laughs> so they have this debate on Rebels Recon if Hera or Poe is the better pilot. And of course, everyone says Hera and they say she's got more experience. <laughs> Oh, that's true. It is I can't, true. Like, that is that is a reference from that time period yeah, to right? a T. Right. Like no one's <laughs> no one's tossing around Poe as like a competitor for Hera. If anything, it's it's Han Solo. I almost said, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say too. I was like, I don't think it's Han Solo, Um, which funny enough, actually in Forces of Destiny, there's an episode with Hera and Han Solo and Leia's there as well. Anyway. Arguing about just this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, exactly. But one thing that is just killer about season four of Rebels is we have that two episode arc with Saw Gerrera and we have the incredible huge hologram head of Saw Gerrera talking to Mon Mothma and Rebels did not have to go that hard <laughs> with it's so good it's so intense this standoff between Saw Gerrera and Mon Mothma it's so intense it's so good the quotes are just they're so good I wrote down a couple of them where Saw says if you allow this war to be fought on the Empire's terms you're going to lose and Mon Mothma says I will not be lectured on military strategy from a criminal and then Saw says ha the Empire considers us both criminals at least I act like one and then I'm pretty sure he like disappears (laughs) I'm like It was so intense. It's like, keep arguing. It's so good. It was so intense. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing that we have this reference. So this that was great already. We I think we had enough context to understand all of the machinations of that and how one person is fighting a different rebellion than another. And then we see all the background of that when we watch Andor. Mm-hmm. And we have characters like Saw and Mon in their parts and like this argument happens later than what happens in Andor so oh boy it's just so good and I feel like it adds some interesting tidbits to like where we are right now with having what at the time of recording this have only seen season one of Andor Mm -hmm. so I'm very curious to see how this will all continue to fit together because it it will and it does it's something that I think a lot of people actually forget about with Andor is that It's a lot of animated characters, like the stories that Mm -hmm. are in Rebels are continuing in Andor. Like a lot of people want to think about Andor as like this one-off separate project, but it's fully not. And this is a very good example of how it's fully not. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Saw, you know, we just continue to see him come up. Uh, he's he's featured in Bad Batch as well, too. And it's just, he's such an interesting character that we we have to do an episode on the Onderon arc at some point because we talk about it a lot, but we've never done like a full episode on the Onderon arc. And it's, we should. It's elite in my head. <laughs> it's elite. <laughs> But I loved these episodes. These are um, in the name of the rebellion. It's the two episodes. And Saw, essentially, he rescues slash kidnaps Sabine and Ezra. And they go off. I forget what their actually their goal is. But they end up on a ship that has the giant kyber crystal, remember? And this is eventually what goes into the Death Star or is part of the Death Star. And will eventually blow up Jeddah as well that Saw is on. So, um, you know, think about that. And the end of this episode, I think at one point, Kanan says to Hera that Ezra needs to learn like who Saw is and he needs to see it for himself. He said something similar to about how Ezra approached Maul and Hondo too. And because Ezra had a lot of uh, adventures, connections, like time with all of these characters like Saw, uh, Hondo, and Maul. And Ezra had all of these different opinions of who these people were when he first met them and then how his relationship with them grew and changed. And obviously Hondo is someone who is like a pirate. He's played for laughs, right? Um, But he's still someone who, you know, didn't always have Ezra's back in the beginning until kind of the very end. And we see his relationship with Maul change a lot. And he also has to be confronted with who Maul is. And something similar happens with Saw. And at the end of those episodes, it's a really intense scene where Saw, Sabine, and Ezra are all on the ship with the Kyber crystal. And they all have a different opinion about what should happen next. And Saw... Saw's whole goal is that he has to learn the secrets of his enemy, no matter the cost. And then Ezra, at that point, he's just there for the prisoners because there are also prisoners on the ship that he wants to rescue. And Sabine is kind of thinking more about the Empire as a whole, where she just doesn't want to let the Empire actually use the Kyber crystal um, that's going to be used. And I don't know. I just think that it is. it was such a good episode uh, when it comes to Saw Gerrera himself as a character and then seeing where like Sabine and Ezra were on their journey. This is also the beginning of the season too. And I just, I, I don't know. I really liked this episode. And like I said, the the visual of the big head Saw talking to the tiny Mon Mothma, it's just, it goes so hard and it didn't have to. Um, there's also a great subplot in this episode of Chopper helping rescue the prisoners and they all get, he has to move them like from place to place. Like at one point they're in a skate pod and then those are going to be blown up. So he has to move them back over here. And all the prisoners are like, you're such an odd little droid. (laughs) It's, it's a funny little arc. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. (laughs) It's a funny arc, but I wanted to talk about this episode specifically because there is, I've, I'm pulling, I've pulled so many quotes from Dave from Rebels Recon and I'm sorry, but here we are. (laughs) There's this really interesting quote from Dave in Rebels Recon that we used to talk about a lot on the show. And I don't think we necessarily always contextualize this quote very well. um, But I think it's an interesting quote to talk about now 
now that we're in the year 2023. So this episode came out in late 2017, and this is also the first time that we see Yavin 4 in Rebels, and it was a really big deal. They talked about it a ton. And in Rebels Recon, Andy Gutierrez, who was the host, asked Dave, she said, Yavin 4 is obviously a very iconic setting from A New Hope and now Rogue One. Was it always the goal to have the show line up so directly with the films? And Dave responded and said, no, and it's not a goal still. You know, in some ways, you almost want to avoid those things to keep the characters independent of making their own choices and having their own path and destiny, not serving as some footnote on the journey of another character. When things worked out and talking to Gareth Edwards and John Knoll about the movie Rogue One, we're like, well, it seems reasonable with the scale that you've made the operation on Yavin that our rebels would have gone there because it's much more of a hub. And I think this idea of characters serving as a footnote on the journey of other characters is something we talked a lot about when it came to our animated characters becoming a part of live action and vice versa, which at the time that wasn't happening as often. <laughs> like Saw Guerrero was kind of like the the big deal, I think, of this happening. And I was kind of yeah. curious what your thoughts were on this quote now, you know, in 2023. Well, to be clear, it's characters not becoming a footnote yeah. versus becoming a footnote. And yeah. I still feel the same way I've always felt with it in that I feel like Dave has always sort of protected this understanding of like, I don't know. I mean, obviously I think my opinions on it have kind of evolved in the fact that I like, I've been very open on the show being okay with the fact I, th that I like Star Wars characters appearing in other Star Wars shows. And I don't think it's a big deal to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically, cause I was about to use the example of like, it's not like Luke Skywalker is just like showing up in the background of this, but Luke Skywalker did show up in The Mandalorian, which is a Dave Filoni-produced show. And he showed up in the and background I, of Rebels and Twin Sons. That's true. <laughs> and, like, I think that all of that is fine. I've always felt like all of that is fine. So I still feel like this quote I agree with because I still think that the characters that the show, like, as a whole – they're not footnotes in their own story. Have the fandom made it bigger than it actually was, aka one or two episodes? Yes. But I don't think that's actually what's happening in the story ever. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with I you. I don't know. I think there was this uh, <laughs> thinking that if you bring Yavin into this, Yavin 4, if you bring these other components, then is, is everything that's happening with the ghost crew just to supplement what's happening to Luke and Leia when they're in the rebellion and Han Solo and everything that they're kind of doing. And I think there was kind of that fear or thinking that all of this is just for the betterment of what happens to the, yeah. the big guns, right? <laughs> like Luke and mm -hmm. Leia and Han. And I think, I think that was a, I think that would have been a really big conversation at this time, especially as they're starting to test bringing characters in and out of these stories like Sakurara and even to a certain extent like Ahsoka. But I think at that time on a smaller scale of bringing her into Rebels in the first place. Um, but I think that now I almost kind of think this idea of the character serving as a footnote on the journey of another character is kind of null and void when it comes to our Rebels characters because they have kind of grown exponentially yeah. in their own right, especially when we look at the Ahsoka show, which is effectively the Rebels sequel, right? <laughs> I don't think that's bad to call it that. Um, and you look at a character like Ahsoka even and – 
I think you could have, there could have been a conversation like this about Ahsoka's characterization and her development and the impact it had on Anakin and how she perhaps could have been a character that only served Anakin's development in that sense. But the way that she grew throughout the Clone Wars, you know, fully coming into her own. And then for her, for lack of a better word, to be serviced by Anakin's character in her development, to be serviced by Anakin's character in the form of Hayden Christensen, no less, in the Ahsoka show is kind of like the complete opposite of, I think, what perhaps was some of the subtext to Dave's answer here in Rebels Recon. You're right. I think that this whole concept of footnotes really has to do more with like how Rebels relates to the original trilogy. At the time, yeah. At the time. And we've used it, we've taken it out of context perhaps, and we've used it to talk about things beyond that. But I think it is sort of null and void. We're beyond that in terms of the way that the Star Wars story works now or like what we're familiar with and how it's not so strange to see Saw Gerrera in animated form and then also in different Star Wars projects that almost to the point where I've sort of lost track <laughs> of, of how many things he's been in. He's kind of like the evil and- Bail Organa in my head. <laughs> <laughs> he's not evil though but yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways like he is a bail character in that he is part of a rebellion or like a head of a different faction of a rebellion yeah so i don't know that's an interesting conversation that i'm probably going to be thinking of after we record and we'll probably talk about it again yeah yeah because i don't know if i have like a fully formed idea i don't either. about that yeah, I don't either. And when I've been watching Rebels Recon and this quote came up, I, I hadn't thought about this quote in a long time, actually. And I was like, you know, we used to talk about this quote a lot um, in like the first couple years of the podcast. And it had actually been a minute since I thought about it and kind of what I think about it now. And even thinking about, you know, when we talk about the sacredness of bringing someone like Luke Skywalker into the Mandalorian and what does that mean? Is it effective? Is it not? Is it Luke becoming a footnote in Grogu's story? Is it the other way around? Is it Mando's? You know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of... It doesn't, it's not, it's not relevant. Yeah, exactly. That comment is not relevant to that conversation. Not anymore. Not Um, anymore. Because I think there's just, there's so much going on. By the way, I think that it would be more Din Jaren becoming a footnote in Luke Skywalker's story. But it's even, when I'm saying that aloud, I don't even think that's true Hmm. yeah I don't either because I think that I think that the conversation has changed now that there's so much Star Wars out there and these characters are moving so much more freely between stories and between timelines whereas here back in 2017 we're still growing accustomed to the idea of it I think in a way that is not necessarily the case now um And I would love to kind of know Dave's thoughts on this idea, this idea of the footnote on the journey of another character and how he thinks about that now, especially when he has something like the Mandoverse and all of these things um, interacting with each other at kind of very different levels kind of all the time. Add it to the list of questions to ask Dave. Okay. Dave, back in 2017, you had a quote. No, I think it's a good question. I I feel like... Yeah. I don't know. Again, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. Yeah. Actually. 
and how far we've actually come. And this is why it's so fun to reflect on Rebels per season, how far we came from season one to season four, and even now, and looking back on how it is all contextualized in this era of fandom and new shows and new movies and things like that. Like, I would have never thought that in 2023 we wouldn't be in an era of having a Star Wars movie at Christmas, and we haven't been in that era for like three, four years, four years at this point. Yeah. And that we have like kind of moved beyond a two and a half hour movie every other year, every year to these long form shows that explore certain themes in a similar way that Rebels did too. And how the concept of footnote isn't really even relative because the movies don't necessarily reign supreme at this time period. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to think about it too. That what is... The saga, which was we and we hold it up too as like we've described it before as like the Olympic gods um, when it comes to the saga and the Skywalkers. And it's it's not about their story in the same way that it was back then. And like it it is, but it's just not in terms of the zeitgeist of what we're talking about for the shows that are being released now. Like yeah. the yeah. Star Wars saga will always be very important and something like the Skywalker myth. Yeah, yeah. But I think that Rebels was always like, how does this fit in with the Skywalker myth? Especially the way that we're talking about The Last Jedi and how that release was so part of our watching experience originally of this season of Rebels and how that's fully kind of shifted. I don't know. Well, I'm just kind of talking now. Yeah, (laughs) and even you think about when this series was airing, when season four was airing, and we talked about this at the beginning of our in season one is that the rebels don't actually join the rebellion in the way that everyone kind of thought they would. Yeah. Um, like, especially with Sabine at the end talking about how she just stayed on Lethal. Um, obviously, I think Hera goes on to stay involved in the rebellion, and so does Zeb. Well, I don't think we really know that for sure, or perhaps it's explored in a comic. Zeb goes to Lyrason with Callus at the end. Um, but, you know, it, I think. Especially this episode with Saw being at the beginning of the season where they are on Yavin 4 and it's like, oh, okay, we've arrived, you know? Like, how is this, is this fully going to connect into a new hope or into a, no, a Rogue One? And it kind of messes with your expectation and doesn't really. And I think that way all of us kind of thought the show Rebels ultimately would. <laughs> right. All right. I think that's enough kind of meta <laughs> talk. Are we ready to move into part three? Yes, let's do it. Listen, Big Deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, so welcome to part three where we're discussing our highs and lows. Caitlin, why don't we start with lows before we talk about our highs? I think we both have the same low. What is it? It's Zeb. Uh, yeah. I think we just we, – I wish we had more from him, um, especially since we know that he's not in the Ahsoka show, which I was very surprised at. Very kind of so dis- confused. disappointed, honestly. Especially because I was like, they already rendered him. <laughs> he already exists. <laughs> but what came him. first, the chicken or the egg? You know what I mean? And I think that <laughs> I really didn't – I'm just – I'm shocked by that. And then in retrospect, I understand why we got Zeb – in Mando because we weren't getting him in Ahsoka. No, no see, no, that doesn't, that still doesn't make sense to me. Cause I'm like, if we got him in Mando, that means we should be getting him in Ahsoka. We're prepping to get him in Ahsoka. 
where we Misa, literally Misa talked Misa about that. him. He's he's rendered. We literally he's did. He was mising. <laughs> I feel like he was so ready. <laughs> the oven but he was wasn't. preheated. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't ready. He wasn't. He needs he needs a couple more hours in the in the oven. Maybe season two. But regardless, I felt like Zeb had very little to do in this season. He had, like at all. Yeah, he had very little development. Um, and you know, there are a couple instances where he's left behind on the mission, notably when Kanan dies. So he's, you know, he's not there for for that whole sequence. So yeah, it, it is kind of a disappointment. He does have a number of great action scenes, especially with Rook, which is very yes. fun to watch. And he really owns it. But we don't get a lot of development from him there. I wish we even had more moments of him and Callus. There are a couple great moments like Callus and Zeb are together in the finale when they're like trying to get the shield up or whatever. And Zeb like Zeb ultimately kills Rook. Right. And you see Callus being really worried about Zeb, which is great. Love it. (laughs) But yeah, they're just I wish there had been more for Zeb. I will say I love the Zeb Ezra hug after Kanan dies. Right. He doesn't like he doesn't understand fully what's happened yet and then he does. It's just these two characters have come so far to f- from fighting in season 1 mm-hmm. to like hugging each other and commiserating about Kanan's death is just I just wow. It's just it's a major wow. Also, I need to mention how much I hate Rook. <laughs> I hate that character so much. <laughs> I hated him when it was watching, when I was watching it, and I hated him like when I was watching live, when it was airing. I hate him now. And I love the fact that Ezra and Sabine and uh Zeb like basically roast how ugly this character is. <laughs> the whole season. too. And I'm like, thank you <laughs> for talking about this because I hate him too. So I I I love that. <laughs> Yeah. I I do say I will say one of the funny parts of the season is when Sabine and Zeb end up having a tussle with Rook and Rook casually has an invisibility suit. Oh my god, what is that? That is just so confusing. It's so fun. I'm here for it it's because so I'm not going to say that it's ran- like it's it's Star Wars anything is it's literally fantasy. It's okay. But I feel like it is so random. Like we've never seen it's giving Harry Potter suit. the invisibility cloak. It is. It's an invisibility cloak. Like, what are we doing here? Did he need an invisibility cloak? <laughs> but what's so funny is Sabine's like, well, sucks to suck because I obviously carry spray paint with me everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I did love that. That was great. <laughs> it was so funny. The scene was good. It's just so funny and it, random. Yeah. Like you said. I remember texting you and I was like, do you remember that Rook has an invisibility suit? <laughs> I think I said no. No, what no, no. <laughs> I I did pull a fun quote from Rebels Recon from Joel Aaron about the development of Rook and how he looks. And they were talking about the initial lighting passes over Rook and how he has a button nose. <laughs> And that Rook's button nose was catching the light too much and making him look a little cute. <laughs> In no world. I don't I'm know. sorry. I know. So Dave suggested that they show me the initial rendering because I don't believe it. <laughs> so Dave suggested that they darken the nose to a darker gray color so it doesn't catch the light as much, and therefore his button nose does not make him look too cute. 
not Rook being like Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> the little bony I, nose. <laughs> I can't. Corn oh. cop pipe, whatever in the creek. <laughs> I can't handle this. <laughs> anyway, I hate Rook. I love top. Zeb. Wish he had more time. <laughs> Stick a top hat on him and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was kind of the biggest low, honestly, because otherwise the season is just outstanding. <laughs> The season is outstanding. I will say I appreciated its length because it felt concise and to the point. It is short, though. There's a shortness that I feel to the season, but I do appreciate the goal. Like if there was another episode, maybe there would be another episode in which we saw Hera be promoted from captain to general. Even though her return in the X-Wings is great, I think that there is like potentially an episode that was cut that I can feel a little bit of like time passing and maybe a specific Hera episode. I don't know. Yeah, I think that would have been good, especially because once she leaves Lethal, we don't see her again until she comes back with the exactly. X-Wings. Yeah, and I just, I feel like there would be, maybe that was part of Dave's lack of exploration into the machinations of the rebellion to leave more room for other stories, which he, he's talked about in Rebels Recon. And like not fully purposely touching things, but I especially as we get closer and closer to a new hope. But I still feel like there were some missing pieces that might have been in an outline that never got greenlit. Again, I will say I like a tight series, like a short series. This was especially after the past couple series seasons of watching this, which felt really long. Like I remember season two feeling very, very long. This felt sort of the complete opposite of that which almost too fast too soon and even watching it live I remember feeling that way because of the fact that they were double episodes yeah I think that's what gets me is the double episodes makes it feel like it was shorter and I still kind of think about that when I'm watching the season but season one had 15 episodes too and I thought that I think 15 episodes is a great season length yeah so yeah yeah uh, I can be swayed either way. Okay, I just feel <laughs> I remember. I think it can't perhaps it's a leftover ways, from the fact. I know I can't. I really can't. <laughs> All I know is that eight episodes of Ahsoka is too short. Yeah. So. No, that's true. We can we can rest yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and that there has to be a happy medium. Okay. Yeah. I think ten hours of shows in a season is better than eight episodes of like 30 to 40 minute seasons. Yeah. We talked about this in the Ahsoka series, but you know, Obi-Wan was six episodes and that, Mm -hmm. that feels like a mini series that feels intentional, right? Mm -hmm. Eight episodes just feels, it's an odd number. I don't know. It's not a mini series, but it's not a full season either. Just feels like Dave has more to say. Well, I know. Let the man cook. (laughs) (laughs) As the kids say. Yeah. He's, he's cooking. Let him cook. Yeah. Let him cook. Let him get okay? that. He's just, he's mise en blossing right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel. I feel that way about this season too, which almost feels like I remember when it was ending, it was like, okay, so we're working on what's next. It seems like Disney's interested in a sequel trilogy era show. So let's move beyond Rebels. And that's what they greenlit with Resistance. And if it were me... I liked Resistance. We've been a fierce defender of that show on this on this podcast, and I will remain that way. But I also have a bias towards Star Wars Rebels, and if it came down to it, it feels like this is the ending perhaps was sort of 
the cancellation of this show or the finishing in the series, which we've talked about. It's great that Dave got to finish it, okay? But maybe there would have been room for some more episodes before we had to move on and take this team to move on to something else in the same way that they did that with Clone Wars, with Rebels. Um, I agree, but it was a totally different team working on Resistance. Yes, I know. <laughs> it wasn't a totally different team. There was some carryover. There was but, some carryover, but it was mostly different. Yeah. Yes, I just... I I want Rebels to I think that by this point in Rebels history, fandom around Rebels had really formed and you could feel it. And yeah. it was like, oh no, now it's over. Oh no. Oh no, now it's over. You know? Yeah. When Clone Wars had so much. And I I again I've been on the record and saying I love that you can close the book and put it on the shelf. Like I really do love that. And I love a concise story. But there are some pieces where I'm like, hmm, maybe it could be a little bit longer. Maybe it could have been this way. Maybe but we could otherwise... have a one-off about Callus and Zeb and what they're yes, doing. Yes, exactly. That would be great. The let's way... have some more Callus episodes. Let's yeah. like, let's do this, you know? Yeah, like what their house looks like on Lyrasan. I bet they have a gardener. Yeah. I bet Callus is a really good gardener. Oh, my God. It's so true. That's I, so I just – I really see that for them, you yeah. know? Yeah, but I, in no way do I feel like this season is rushed. I just, as a fan, could see more. Okay. Well, that's the vibe. I just want to say that. <laughs> Always one more. I still think this season is an A to A+. Plus. The finale is an A+. Plus. Season as a whole is an A. So how do you rank this season as among the other ones? I think it's got to be four, one, two, three. Yeah, me too. Um, I just think, yeah, kind of all – everything was hitting for me – in fan, like the fandom experience and the show experience in season four were at an all time high. Ever, like you said, everyone was loving Rebels season four. Mm-hmm. So it made the online experience really enjoyable as well. So, yeah, I think that would be my, if I was ranking. And I think the back half of season four remains some of my favorite Star Wars. I think when I was watching, I think I watched like the last five episodes all at once. And I think I just sent you like progressive Snapchats of me crying more and more and more. <laughs> We got through. It's just so good. Music's amazing. Also, I want to comment before we end the show. I want to comment that the animation in this season is unreal. The color tone is different. It is more uh, neutral versus like really flashy bright colors like the first season, which seemed to be really trying to appeal to the younger viewers and like get their attention. This is like darker. There's more tans involved. Well, that's because Lothal has been taken over. Yes, and it, we spend a lot of time on Lothal in general, which is like a grassy planet and just feels like there's more – we're getting closer to A New Hope where the color palette is very like black and white and tan and things like that. And that's what is exhibited in this animation. It just needs to be called out because it is really nice and feels very elevated. And I also think that the camera angles in this season in particular are – actually unreal like specifically when we're dealing with the wolves there's a lot of dutch angles that are happening just doom and jedi knight just feel very masterfully uh, planned and shot and also just the use of dave filoni and it can't just be dave but like the entire team going out and employing smaller animation studios not just lucasfilm animation but um ghostbot and titmouse to make the um the animation for the world between worlds and all of the like the the cave artwork um is just so unique and using 2D animation there and mixing it with 3D like 
it is so experimental and it is a major highlight for me in this season and overall. Like when I think about Rebels, that's what I think about. I think about these like gorgeous shots that really just almost move me to tears with how brilliantly creative they are. Yeah, I don't think any show has kind of done landscapes the way that Rebels did landscapes. Yeah. No one can do a fluffy cloud at sunset the way that Rebels could do a fluffy cloud at sunset. <laughs> I just think the way it just, it was always so beautiful and always looked like you could just reach in and touch it and I don't know. I just, I, I think that it's still some of the prettiest animation and, and prettiest like sets and settings that we've seen in star Wars in total. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, well, yeah, I don't Sorry. think enough can be said about, about how rebels looks and especially in season four. And yeah, that 2d animation with the, the world between worlds and the mortis portal opening up it remains unmatched. And I remember them talking about how that was really difficult to kind of conceptualize and even to know if it would work and look all right in the 3D animated world. And it's one of those things that I think has held up so well when we look at kind of the development of technology and kind of what animation looks like. I mean, obviously all the shows have done different styles of animation, but it's one of those things that still hits as an effect so well and I'm still awed by it every time I see it. Me too completely and I think also one thing to know if we want to compare season one to season four is season one something we commented on so much is the fact that Kevin Kiner leaned so much onto existing John Williams music but by the end here there is like we're basically not leaning on that at all. We've developed our own music. We've developed our own tone even everyone feels more comfortable, I think, with the Ralph McQuarrie style animation that was sort of picked apart in that first season. But in season four, all we're firing on all cylinders. We've really found our our groove and it really pays off. I think it like you mentioned, the landscapes are so beautiful. But I think just in general, the character models feel more real and lived in and just better. Everything's yeah. just better. Um, and that's that's also the thing we talked about earlier in this episode. It's just it's time and what you're just used to it now too. Like, oh, this is how Rebels looks. Like, this is Rebels. And that's Clone Wars. And this is Resistance. And that's Bad Batch, which is also Clone Wars. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's also just that idea of time. And once you have time to live with something, the shock of the newness of it wears off. Um, and you lean in and I think you form a, a better real opinion about if you actually like it or don't like it uh, or if it's not for you, you know. But yeah, I just think this show is so good. Uh, it never ceases to make me cry and I'm excited. I don't feel like we talked enough about like Sabine and Ezra and Ahsoka and where their characters have taken them into the Ahsoka show. We've talked about that actually in our Ahsoka breakdown. So you should go listen to those if you haven't had a chance yet. But I think this, I love Rebels so much. And I feel like every day I'm inching closer to saying it's my favorite of the animated series, but I don't know if I can ever fully say that because I just, I love them all. <laughs> um, but, and I've said this before too, Rebels makes me cry more than any other animated series does. And I think that the work of the entire cast and crew for this show was just so special. And I don't know, it's just, 
this is such a moment in time when this series came out for us. And even people who have watched it later feel such a connection to this show. And it just speaks to how well it was done and how evergreen Rebels really is in the Star Wars lexicon. Absolutely. I miss it so much. And I've had such a fun time talking about it. And rewatching it, honestly, has been so great. Mm -hmm. Like, I've really loved rewatching it and doing this project of revisiting Star Wars Rebels. It's been so fantastic. And I think Caitlin and I have toyed around and talked a little bit about doing it for Clone Wars. But let us know if you're interested in that, please, because it would be obviously a bigger commitment than this one. But yeah, I don't know. What do you any any parting shots? Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, we're definitely interested in doing something with Clone Wars. Maybe trying out a different structure. But we also really like our three part structure too. So don't be surprised if we end up doing that also. But yeah, I think it would look a little different with Clone Wars, just because I think the setup of Clone Wars is different too. But yeah, I like I said, I, I still want to do our Onderon episode as well. But yeah, I have really enjoyed going back through Rebels. It was especially a trip to go through it while Ahsoka was airing. And I just, I love these characters. I love that Ezra's back home. <laughs> I, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And I hope you guys have too. And I hope you've revisited it, whether through the Ahsoka show or just through our discussions, especially like Rebels Recon and stuff like that. Um, I hope you had a good time with it. And yeah, I think that's it. And we're so excited to be back podcasting in real time with you. These This episode will not live in the void. And that is a good thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes. So excited <laughs> about that. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's episode all about Rebels Season 4. Again, thank you so much for listening. And thank you guys, too, for all of your comments about um, if you have listened to our episodes that have come out since the strike was over. Thank you so much for your comments about those episodes. We really do appreciate it. If you're interested in following us online, you can find us on Twitter slash X uh, at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plesher. We're also on Instagram, threads, TikTok, our website, skytalkers.com. You can also email us all of those places you can find us. Just search Skytalkers Podcast. And if you have a moment and would like to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or your podcasting platform of choice, we would really appreciate it. Or if you want to screenshot and tag us that you're listening in real time on any social media platform, we will reshare that as well. And that is also a great way to let people know that you are enjoying the show. And lastly, if you're interested in other ways to support us and how to get involved in our Discord community, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. Yes, I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Corey, GMO, Lindsay, Olivia, Simon, Ben, Emily, Triumphant Ewok, Chris, Renee, Maximilian, Allie, Kat, Emily, Ian, Sophia, Brooke, David, Eugene, Gary, Jessica, Pamela, Benjamin, Cassie, and Tadashi. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Mm -hmm.